Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey uh, assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson, brothers and sisters. Um, today's lesson will be called Producing Kingdom Culture. This will be our third installment, brothers and sisters, in our four-part series on the Kingdom of Heaven. Our first episode or installment was called The King and His Kingdom. The second installment was the kingdom of the king, brothers and sisters. In our third installment, which is what we are dealing with today, will be called, we will be called producing kingdom culture, brothers and sisters. So grab your pens and your pencils, your notepads, brothers and sisters. We have a myriad of precepts here. Um, and by the end of this series, this four-part series, we pray that the Most High will give you all a better understanding and clarity on how a kingdom operates, brothers and sisters. Um, so today we're talking about culture. Culture is the inherent lifestyle manifested in the behavior of a distinct people, brothers and sisters. Our culture as kingdom citizens should be just as distinct and obvious as San Francisco's Chinatown, brothers and sisters. God wanted to establish a prototype of the original country of heaven in another territory, which was on earth. So we have to show well, the Bible. We're going to use the Bible to illustrate the culture that should be established in this territory, which is earth. Brothers and sisters, we're going to start at Psalms 72 and 19. Please follow us there. Psalms 72 and 19. And blessed be his glory name, glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with this glory. And let what, brother? Let the whole earth be filled with this glory. Now that word glory, brothers and sisters, it says, let the whole earth be filled with this glory. Glory, brothers and sisters, is influence. Is the influence of a king over a territory. It's the imprint or the impact of a culture. When you look at that word, it means to press down. It's heavy, brothers and sisters, when you look at that word glory. So glory is the evidence of... Of the presence of a culture. It's saying let his culture. Fill the earth. Brothers and sisters. He's speaking of the culture of heaven coming to earth. Brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time brother? Psalm 72 and 19. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Now this is key. Brothers and sisters. We are doing this installment. On the kingdom of heaven. So this particular one will help us with his glory, brothers and sisters. When you are a citizen of a particular kingdom, you are obligated to carry on the culture of that king, brothers and sisters. Last installment, our last um, episode, we talked about how a kingdom is a country. The kingdom of heaven is an actual country. And we, we showed, we, used, we utilized the Bible to show how that kingdom operates. Now that we know that the kingdom is an actual territory, there's a culture that belongs to that territory, brothers and sisters. And we're going to go into the Bible today because we need people to emulate and do what? To implement this particular culture here on earth, brothers and sisters. See, let the whole earth be filled with his glory. How do we do that? We utilize the Bible, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Zechariah 12. Because we have to bring his 
imprint or his impact or his culture, his glory to earth. We're going to see who he's using, brothers and sisters. We're going to Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to read verse 5 and 6, Brother Corey. Zechariah 12, verse 5. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. Now, this is key, brothers and sisters. It says the governors of Judah. Brothers and sisters, the purpose for a governor is to produce culture, brothers and sisters. So a king will dispatch a governor to a territory to implement the culture of his kingdom, brothers and sisters. Look at that word. Go look up that word governor. What is a governor, brothers and sisters? The Most High wants to utilize the Jews, the Judeans, the African-Americans, so-called, to implement a culture. Why? Because if you look around the Western world today, you can see the impact that they've had already, brothers and sisters, based on the music, based on the sports, based on the way people dress. So the Most High understood that these particular people would be responsible for influence, Brothers and sisters, could you read that one more time, brother? Zechariah, well, Zechariah 12 and 5. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torture fire in a sheep. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Now, this is prophetic, brothers and sisters, because it's talking about Judah being like a fire among wood, which means to burn everything up, brothers and sisters. So we are going to implement the culture and swallow up the worldly culture. And all those who will not follow our God will be destroyed, brothers and sisters. Not by us. We're not going to do anything. But when Christ comes then it's going to be time for a cleansing, brothers and sisters. What we went here to show is that a governor is the crown's representative. He said that the governors of Judah, the governors of Judah. So it's not speaking of one man, brothers and sisters. The governors of Judah will establish the influence and culture of heaven on earth by representing the values and the morality <laughs> of God on earth. So if anybody had to get this the quote-unquote Negroes must understand this. You have a big responsibility, brothers and sisters. We have already influenced the earth enough for Satan. And now it's time to flip that and influence for the Most High. The whole earth understand how influential we are, whether we're doing right or wrong, brothers and sisters. We need Israelites, predominantly the, the natives, Hispanics, and the Negroes to understand what we're reading here. We are supposed to influence the earth with the culture of heaven, brothers and sisters, and especially the Jews. The Jews need to understand this. Let's go to Genesis 49 and 8, Brother Corey. Genesis chapter 49, we're going to read verse 8 through 10, brother. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. 
Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Now this is key. It says Judah will be the one whom the brethren shall praise. So on one level, we know that Christ came through Judah. On another level, we know that Judah would be the influencers. So all the brothers, our, our brothers would look up to Judah. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Now that's key. See, they understand the influence of Judah. So they would keep Judah close. We would be on the same land with the enemy every time. In all of the slave, uh, all the captivities we went into, Judah was there in that particular land with the enemy. Brothers and sisters, when you look at our other brothers, they're not on the same land with those who oppress them. When you go over into Haiti, when you go over into Puerto Rico, when you go over into the West Indies, they're not living with the white man. But when you come to America, you have the white man ruling on the same land with Judah. Verse 8. <clears throat> Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? See, so they understand, brothers and sisters, that Judah is like a lion crouched down. Who shall rouse him up? They understand that if they awake a sleeping lion, he will not only pounce on them, but the rest of the brethren will be awakened also. See? So they had to keep Judah close because they understood Judah was the key to the rest. Judah is the key to the rest of his brothers and sisters. If you keep him, destroy him, the rest will lay down easily. Uh, can you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Until Christ come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. See? We will gather to Christ. We're not gathering to be Israelites, brothers and sisters, okay? So we're not going to, you know, just be together because we're Israelites. If you don't believe in Christ, then you're on your own. You're dead already if you don't believe in Christ. Can you read 10 one more time, brother? Genesis 49 and 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's key, brothers and sisters. A scepter. Anyone who was raised in a monarchy, brothers and sisters. You go over to Great Britain in some of these areas. A scepter is the instrument that a king holds in his hands to represent his authority, brothers and sisters. So it's telling you Judah is a representative of God's authority and power. Now, when you look at kingdom speech or kingdom verbiage, you have the crown, brothers and sisters, which represents power. You have the censor that represents influence and you have the scepter brothers and sisters, that represents authority. Now, you have to know something, brothers and sisters. Authority is the most important one because if you get authority, then that comes with power and it comes with influence. If you have power in it, if you have power, then you're automatically influential. So the most important one is the scepter, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you something here because they understand that if they get Judah the rest of the brethren will lay down easily. So if anyone have to get it, the Jew, the Judeans must get this because you're responsible for your brethren. We're going to show you all throughout the Bible how responsible Judah was for his brethren. Let's go to Genesis 37 and 26, Brother Corey, because Judah was the one responsible for saving Joseph's life. 
when his brothers wanted to leave him in a ditch. First they wanted to kill him. Then they wanted to leave him in a ditch. Judah saved him. Genesis 37 and 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother in our flesh and his brethren were content. So look at this brothers and sisters. Judah saved his brother Joseph's life by convincing the other brothers to sell Joseph to some Ishmaelites rather than kill him. See, so they understand that Judah from the beginning have always protected his brothers. Uh, let's go to Numbers 10 and 14, brother. And this is the importance of Judah knowing who he is. Numbers 10 and 14. In the first place went the standard of the camp of, children, of the children of Judah according to their armies. What did that say, brother? In the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah according to their armies. And over his host was Nashon, the son of Amenadab. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. Judah was the leader among the company of tribes. Thus, the tribe of Judah led the procession that led that um, when we left from Mount Sinai, brothers and sisters, first went out from Mount Sinai was Judah. So all throughout the Bible, you'll understand they needed to keep Judah in the neck of their enemy. Why? Because Judah was always the leader. He always protected his brothers. And they know if Judah wake up, he's going to tell his brothers who they are. See, they understand this. If Judah realize who he is, the rest of the brethren will realize who they are. We're going to show you something, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Judges, brother. Chapter 1, verse 1. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. Judges 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. See, so they understand this, brothers and sisters. So they would they would focus on Judah to not only pacify Judah, but to destroy Judah, to make Judah believe he's someone else. That's why they got the rap music out there. That's why they're funding us calling each other niggers and, and degrading our women and sagging our pants and selling drugs to each other because they understand if Judah do it, the other brothers will do it. See? Let's go to one more. Let's go to Judges 20 and 12, Brother Corey. See, this is what they know. 20 and 18, excuse me. Judges 20 and 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the, and the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now, brothers and sisters, during the conquest period, and in the civil war between tribes, God always instructs that Judah shall go up first in line of battle. During this time, you had a clan of Benjamites who raped uh, a Levite's concubine. And of course, they came to who? They came to their brother, Judah. And Judah went and fought against Benjamin and destroyed Benjamin down to about 600. They killed men, women, and children, brothers and sisters. They, they had to hide pretty much in caves based on this. So they always understood that what Judah was always responsible for his brethren. Always. He was the one who did what? He saved Joseph. 
He was the one who went back to Isaac, excuse me, he's the one who went back to Jacob and brought Benjamin when Joseph wanted to see his little brother Benjamin, right? He was the one who looked to fight against Joseph for Benjamin. He's always protected his brethren, always. See, this is why I don't want black people to understand who they are, because then you would stop degrading your brother and sister, fighting against your brother and sister, but protect your brother and sister. You would make sure they had the information of who they are. There's something in Judah to where he always protected his brothers and sisters. So Judah have to get this information, get this information and disperse this information, delegate this information to everyone that you know, brothers and sisters. We're talking about culture and that culture will start with the Judeans. If they do it, everyone else will follow brothers and sisters. Once we get the rest of the children of Israel to follow, the rest of the world will follow. You get Judah, Judah will get the rest of the 12 and the 12 will get the, the heathen nations, brothers and sisters. So we had to show you why they're looking to destroy Judah, why they're shooting Judah, why they have gotten Judah strung out on drugs and why they have made marijuana legal. Why in every rap video you have to have alcohol. You got to have Ciroc, uh, you know, all these alcohol lines because they understand that in order to destroy the 12, you only need to destroy Judah. Let's go back, Brother Corey, to Genesis 49 to where we left off. We're going to Genesis 49 and 8, brothers and sisters. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? That's key, because if you rouse him up, he will bring his brethren with him. Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's the part we want to deal with, brothers and sisters. The authority. The authority, brothers and sisters. Now... Now that we know that the authority would be given to Judah, the king tribe, David, Solomon, all of these were Jews, Christ, brothers and sisters. We must understand that power and authority are separate but related concepts, brothers and sisters. Power and authority are different. Power is ability. Authority is the legal right to exercise that ability, brothers and sisters. So you can have power without authority. But if you have authority, you automatically have power. Brothers and sisters, for example, I have the power to get out a notepad and write a brother a ticket, <laughs> but I have no authority to, to compel him to pay it. See, so authority is more important than power, brothers and sisters, because you can have illegitimate power, brothers and sisters. We're going to prove that we're going to show you the difference between power and authority. We're going to go to Exodus chapter seven. We're going to read 10 through 13, Brother Corey. Exodus 7, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron went into went in unto Pharaoh. Now, this is when Moses and Aaron, brethren, went to Pharaoh, brothers and sisters. And they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it came, and became a serpent. Now look at this. Aaron cast down his rod, and it became a serpent, <clears throat> brothers and sisters. Verse 11, 
Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. He did what, brother? He called the wise men and the sorcerers. He said, listen, I'm not afraid of that. Go get my boys. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This illustrates the contrast between power and authority because Satan is not afraid of your power. It's your authority. We're going to show you. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod, rod swallowed up their rod. But what happened? But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rod. That's the difference between power and authority. Aaron and Moses had the authority. Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers had that power too. See? So Moses and Aaron had the power and authority. That's the difference between power and authority. Pharaoh had power, but no authority, brothers and sisters. See how the authority surpasses just power alone, brothers and sisters? So never get confused that, you know, the differences between power and authority. Power is the capacity to do something. Authority is having the legitimate right to wield that power, brothers and sisters. That's key because we have to have this, brothers and sisters. We have the authority. They just have power, brothers and sisters. These governments just have power, but we have the authority from the Most High. You got to remember, Pharaoh was government. That was a king, brothers and sisters. That was government right there. <laughs> Who had the authority, though? Exactly. So the children of Israel have to understand this. What type of authority we're wielding here? Let's go to Matthew, brother, uh, 8 and 9. Because the question is, how do you get power? Oh, excuse me, how do you get this authority? You must know how to get the authority. Matthew 8, verse 9. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Now, this is a soldier speaking with Christ. Can you read that one more time? Verse 9. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Can you read that first part, brother? Verse 9, for I am a man under authority. I am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me. That's key. <laughs> authority comes from being submitted to authority, brothers and sisters. Submission brings forth the fruit of authority. He's saying, listen, I'm under authority, and me being under authority gave me authority. See that, brothers and sisters? Satan wants us to leave submission so we have no authority, brothers and sisters. You have to realize this, especially the children of Israel. Can you read that one more time, brother? Matthew 8 and 9. For I'm, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this. And he doeth. See, brothers and sisters, obedience. He's saying obedience to my instruction comes from my submission to authority. So our people have to be willing to submit to authority, brothers and sisters. Which it appears that, you know, submit is not a, it's not a, you know, a popular word, you know, during these days and times, especially in the Western world, brothers and sisters. But guess what? Satan destroys the headless leaders. If you're not under authority, Satan will destroy you, brothers and sisters. Why? Because he understands the only way you can get authority is by being under authority, brothers and sisters. Now, this is key. 
This is key. We must get under authority, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you something here. Let's go to Luke 9, brother. Going to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Follow us there, please. Luke 9 and 1. Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to curse the, cure diseases. It, can you read that one more time, brother. Verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. Now, there's two things working here. This is evidence that power and authority are different. Also, this is showing you, you don't take authority. It has to be given to you. He gave them power and authority. See, you can't exercise the power until you get under authority, brothers and sisters. The most powerful position is, you know, under authority, brothers and sisters. The most powerful place is under authority, brothers and sisters. So the quickest way up is down, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this clear? Can you read that one more time? Verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. He did what, brother? He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, this is something critical here, brothers and sisters, because Christ never healed first. What he did was he preached the kingdom of God and then said, the culture of the kingdom is here. Let me show you. And then he healed. See, brothers and sisters, you will find that all throughout the gospel. He always preached the kingdom first and then healed because he needed to teach him about the culture and then show him how it was present, brothers and sisters, which links to our previous uh, installment, which was the right. We went into the privileges and the rights of being a kingdom citizen. Brothers and sisters, now we're talking about the culture. Now we're talking about the culture. We first needed to show you that the Israelites would need to get under authority in order to wield their power. We're going to show you something here, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 3 and 15, brother. Follow us to Matthew, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 15 and 16 here. This is after Christ. Um, this is during the time where Christ is getting baptized. Matthew 3 and 15. And Christ answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. This is referring to, we'll jump up actually. Let's get some context, brothers and sisters. Let's read verse 13, brother Corey. Matthew 3 and 13. Then cometh Christ from Galilee to Jordan unto John. To be baptized of him. But John forbade him saying. I have need to be baptized of thee. And cometh thou to me? And Christ answering said unto him. Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us. To fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. So even Christ understood. He had to find the authority. He found the authority. Which was John. John was the greatest man on earth at this time. Brothers and sisters, he had the biggest crowds follow him, and Christ already Christ understood this. That's why other places in the Bible, in the gospel, would tell you there was no greater prophet, there was no greater man than Christ, than John, and Christ said that himself. So Christ even found authority, excuse me, found authority to get under, brothers and sisters, because he understood how kingdom works. You find authority and you get under it. That elevates you, brothers and sisters. 
So even at a job, brothers and sisters, if you submit to whoever the authority is there, guess what? You're the one that's likely to get the promotion. You're the one that's likely to be trusted. Why? Because you got under the authority. You didn't buck the authority, which is hard for our people. We understand. But if you're going to live in a kingdom, you must get under authority, brothers and sisters. Uh, can you read 14 and 15 one more time, brother? Matthew 3 and 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and cometh thou to me? And Christ answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Christ, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So after Christ was fully submerged in living water, the heavens opened up. Verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Look at that, brothers and sisters. This is critical because the voice, it says, a voice from heaven said what, brother? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, the voice was not speaking to Christ. It was speaking to the spectators. It's showing you something. When you submit, you don't need to promote yourself, brothers and sisters. When you submit, the Most High will advertise you, brothers and sisters. God will tell them who you are, brothers and sisters. He will call attention to you. He will publicize you, brothers and sisters. Why am I bringing this up? Because we're well, we're well past the stage of trying to get some white person to believe we're the children of Israel. We're going to submit to the Most High and God will tell them who we are, brothers and sisters. Because I know a lot of young people who want to go out and, and battle white Christians trying to prove that we're the Israelites. Listen, <laughs> we don't really need... Your acknowledgement of who we are. The Most High is going to tell the world who we are, brothers and sisters. This voice was not speaking to Christ. It was speaking to everyone that was there. It was telling them who he was. See? So, yes, we're going to influence with the culture. And God is going to tell them who we are, brothers and sisters. This is critical. You don't have to go out and promote yourself. Brothers and sisters, if you get under authority, he will publicize us. He will promote us, brothers and sisters. We don't have to go out and try to get people to think we're deep. You don't need that. You don't need that. The Most High will bring people to you. And when they meet you, they will know it's something about you. You don't need to tell them, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you why you need that information. We have to go to Isaiah 49, Brother Corey. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 49 and 3. Isaiah 49 verse 3. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. This is key, brothers and sisters. The quality of the community is a reflection of the quality of the king. Brothers and sisters, we have to change our mindset and learn to think like royalty. Why? Because he's supposed to be glorified through us. That can only happen if we what? Get under authority, brothers and sisters. See? How is he going to be glorified if we won't get under authority, brothers and sisters? Could you read that one more time, brother? Isaiah 49 verse 3. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The children of Israel, all twelve tribes, 
will bring glory to the Most High once they get under authority, brothers and sisters. To magnify, you want to say something? Oh no, I'm good. To magnify that point, brothers and sisters, we're going to go to Deuteronomy nine and twenty four to show you that we have struggled with, you know, getting under authority since the beginning of being a people. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 9 and 24. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. What did that say, brother? Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Look at that. See, this is why we're pulling this out, brothers and sisters, because we understand our people struggle with submission. The most important principle in a kingdom is obedience, brothers and sisters. Obedience is the most powerful force in a kingdom. A kingdom is not a democracy. And we have been trained in democracy, which is very dangerous, brothers and sisters, because if you've been raised in a democracy and you read the Bible, you'll begin to superimpose your democracy mindset on a Bible that has nothing to do with democracy. It's a theocracy, brothers and sisters. It's a monarchy. Can you read that one more time, brother? Deuteronomy 9 and 24. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. That's key, brothers and sisters. The first thing we must know if we're going to live in the kingdom is that obedience is the most powerful force in that kingdom. Why? Because in a kingdom, when you obey, you're protected. Brothers and sisters, obedience positions a citizen for success. So the children of Israel have to first get under the Most High's authority so he can use us to influence the earth, brothers and sisters. So we have to deal with that first. Now, let's go into the culture. We're going to go to Proverbs 25 and 5, Brother Corey. Please follow us there. Proverbs 25, verse 5. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. See? Evil must be removed so the kingdom or nation can prosper in righteousness. So if you don't want to submit, brothers and sisters, you will be removed. You will not be a citizen in his kingdom. And I know Christians, they really need to hear this because they think that you can... You know, eat whatever you want to eat, uh, celebrate whatever you want to celebrate, you know, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and you're going to be in the kingdom. doesn't work like that, brothers and sisters. How do we know? Can you read that again? Verse 5. Take away the wicked from before the king and his throne shall be established in righteousness. See? That's key, brothers and sisters. This confirms his rule and secures the continuance of his dynasty. The wicked must be removed. So you either get down, brothers and sisters, or as they say, lay down. <laughs> and when you lay down, you stay down. So the key is, brothers and sisters, we must learn submission. We must learn obedience. We must humble ourselves and find the authority to get under, brothers and sisters. This is critical because the kingdom is not a democracy, brothers and sisters. What the king says goes. There's no vote. There's no, you know, well, everybody raise your hand if you agree. The only vote there is in the kingdom is the king's brothers and sisters. So we first have to establish a culture of obedience, brothers and sisters. That's the first thing. Obedience and submission. 
We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 8. Just a few chapters over, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Proverbs 20, verse 8. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. See? So kingdoms that hate wickedness and enforce righteousness will endure, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 8. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. He does what? Scattereth away all evil with his eyes. Dispensing justice. He separates the evil from the good, the right from the wrong, brothers and sisters. What we're reading here is the effect of a good government, brothers and sisters. We have to get this down. We have to get this down because what we're going into in the latter part of this particular lesson is all going to be derived from the obedience, from the righteousness, brothers and sisters. We cannot have a culture of unrighteousness. What does a culture of unrighteousness look like? Have you ever lived a day in America where you got men with uh, makeup and purses walking around? When you got women uh, trying to be men? When you got people doing all levels, types of drugs? When you got establishments, legal establishments where you can go and a sister can just take her clothes off and fall on a pole? Just, you know, just swing on a pole. That's what a society looks like with no law, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs, brother, 29 and 18. Follow us here. Just a few chapters over, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 29 and 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The children of Israel need to have a vision. Why? Because a common vision brings a community into unity and helps guarantee its survival. Why? Because a vision, excuse me, uh, people without a vision will perish, brothers and sisters. So the children of Israel need to understand what is being taught in this four-part series because that's the only way we're going to make it. Brothers and sisters, we must agree on what the destination is. What is the destination? The destination is the kingdom. Every single page in the New Testament is talking about, in the gospel, is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Every single page, brothers and sisters. Read the gospel again, brothers and sisters. Christ is speaking about the gospel, I mean, speaking about the kingdom gospel all throughout the gospel, brothers and sisters. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to make sure that we use the Bible to give vision to our people who are blind. Let's go to Exodus 33 because Moses had a vision. Let's see what vision Moses had. Exodus 33, we're going to read 15 and 16, Brother Corey. <clears throat> Exodus 33 and 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Now look at this, brothers and sisters. Moses is saying, if your presence is not with me, we don't want to go forward. Could you read that uh, 16 again? Verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people. From all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Look at this. Moses had clarity that we must be distinguishable from the Gentiles, brothers and sisters. And without the Most High's glory or his culture, 
we would remain ambiguous. Check this out, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time? 16. Verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. See, so historically, brothers and sisters, we, the children of Israel, prided ourselves on being distinguishable from the other nations. We were not trying to fit in, <laughs> brothers and sisters. It was quite the opposite. Now, now that we understand that we were supposed to be distinguished, how do you distinguish a people? You distinguish a people based on their culture, brothers and sisters. And the foundation of any culture is displayed in its ethics, brothers and sisters. Ethics refers to the guidelines for conduct. So first, when we're dealing with the heavenly culture, we have to deal with ethics. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, brothers and sisters. We're going to the New Testament. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 and also verse 10. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Brothers and sisters, right here we're reading the standard of conduct established by the king for his citizens. Can you read 9 one more time, brother? Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? See, these are the ethics in order for citizenship, brothers and sisters. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Effeminate is a man trying to be a woman. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's a homosexual. The Bible says when you deal with homosexuality, that's self-abuse. You're abusing yourself. Verse 10. Nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, nor shall inherit the kingdom of God. Shall what? Shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people shall inherit the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. See, I point this out to Christians because Christians think, you know, the law is Old Testament. Well, what about all this law right here, brothers and sisters? The laws contained in the Bible, New and Old Testament, are the ethical code for citizenship. Brothers and sisters, I'm not sure what type of trance people are under where they think they can do whatever they want to do because Christ came and died on the cross for their sins. Guess what? You will not inherit the kingdom. You will not. Let's read 9 and 10 one more time before we move on, Brother Corey. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That is critical, brothers and sisters, because citizens are compelled to reflect the ethical values of the king. And we're reading it here. And it's not just this. It's all the laws in the Bible, brothers and sisters. But just to sum it up, these are the ethics, brothers and sisters, for citizenship. This is the culture. This is the culture that we must influence, brothers and sisters, into this world. We must take the heavenly culture and influence the worldly culture with that and take it over. We cannot be influenced by the world any longer, brothers and sisters. That's why we needed the vision. 
The vision is the destination. The destination is what? The kingdom of heaven. Now we're learning how a kingdom operates from every aspect, brothers and sisters. Further proof of ethics. We have to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Now notice all this is in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. We purposely didn't go to the Old Testament. <laughs> we purposely didn't do that. Why? Because we understand what Christians do. Christians try to make people believe that the whole Old Testament is done away with. And the only laws are the ones in the Old Testament. That's why we purposely went to the New Testament here. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Brother Corey. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now this is key. It says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Why? Because we're citizens to the kingdom of heaven, yet we're living on the earth. See? So look at that, brothers and sisters. We have renounced our worldly citizenship. So if heaven is your home, we are not to entangle our affections with earthly things. That's what it's showing us here. Can you read that one more time? Verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Abstain from indulgence of sexual appetites. Verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, now you're understanding when he says the children of Israel shall be his glorification. <laughs> they should bring him glory, brothers and sisters. This is the expectation of the king regarding the values and moral standards the citizens must adhere to, brothers and sisters. The code of ethics becomes the foundation of the kingdom culture and manifests itself in the lifestyle of the citizens, brothers and sisters. See, the Gentiles should want to praise and worship our God based on what? Based on how we behave, brothers and sisters. This is critical. Now, yes, all people should do this, but we're speaking predominantly to the children of Israel. The Negroes, the native, Hispanic people, Taínos, those of the South Pacific, the Indonesians, the Vietnamese, these are the people we're speaking to. The Jamaicans, the Trinidadians, the Haitians, the Dominicans, all the poor, brothers and sisters. Having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles. See, so evidence, if this is evidence here that there's two, there's two separate people here. You have Gentiles and those who must have their conversation honest amongst the Gentiles. That would be Israelites, brothers and sisters. It says that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. So even though they're against us, <laughs> our good works, brothers and sisters, would not allow them to continue in hostility against us. You see that, brothers and sisters? So even though they will look at something good and call it evil as evidence as here, our good works would bring glory to the Most High God, brothers and sisters. See, this is key, brothers and sisters. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Our good works. See, if you're a Christian and you're reading this, you're like, well, I can do whatever I want. How is somebody going to come to Christ? <laughs> How is somebody going to worship the Most High while you're doing whatever you want to do? 
doesn't make any sense. We need Christians to understand also because you've been bamboozled to believe that you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven and not follow a single law in the book. You have been deceived. Brother Court, let's go to Psalms. Let's go to Psalms 90 and 12, brothers and sisters, because why? A culture must be evident in its priorities. What do you prioritize? Different cultures prioritize different things, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's prove that. Psalms 90 and 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is referring to priority. It says, teach us to number our days, brothers and sisters. Why? <laughs> because what are you spending the most time on? Understanding that each person is getting older. Each one of us is closer to death than we were yesterday. So the children of Israel predominantly, but anybody who would like to be a kingdom citizen must do what? Could you read that again, brother? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Brothers and sisters, priorities are determined by what we value. And values are extremely powerful. Why? Because they form the foundation of our behavior, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time? Psalms 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now that's key, brothers and sisters. Our values guide people in identifying what behavior is acceptable or unacceptable in their culture. It's our values that will cause us to stand out in any given society. The scripture is also telling you what that value is. <laughs> Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 12. <clears throat> so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That is what is valued, brothers and sisters. That is what is prioritized, brothers and sisters, in a kingdom culture. Wisdom. Wisdom, brothers and sisters is what we value most in a kingdom culture. Further proof, we're going to go to Proverbs 16 and 16, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Proverbs 16 and 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Brothers and sisters, this truism is universally recognized as the truth, but it's practiced by very, very few. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? It says how much better. It's inexpressibly and unconceivably better, as this phrase implies, brothers and sisters. Values are principles that aid in determining priorities. This is what we value. This is the culture that must be implemented on the earth, brothers and sisters. We need to implement a culture that values wisdom and not, um, you know, uh, rims and cars and, and big butts and, and all the stuff that, uh, you know, this society values. A uh, million likes on Facebook. See, we value all the wrong things. That is not the culture of heaven. We have to learn the culture of heaven in order to implement it. Therefore, we're going to utilize the Bible today to go into what the culture of heaven actually looks like, brothers and sisters. And we're starting here with the values. Let's jump to the Apocrypha, Brother Corey. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. 
11 and 1. Stick with us here, brothers and sisters. We're talking about culture today. Ecclesiasticus 11, verse 1. Wisdom lifted up the head of him that is of low degree. It, uh, it lifted up, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Verse 1. Wisdom lifted up the head of him that is of low degree and maketh him to sit among great men. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, look at this closely. This simple illustration provides a great insight into the way wisdom works in our lives. We'll have Brother Corey read it one more time. Verse 1. Wisdom lifted up the head of him that is of low degree and maketh him to sit among great men. Brothers and sisters, as illustrated by this particular text, wisdom holds the power of elevation. It says it lifteth up him of low degree and maketh him sit among great men. Wisdom has the ability to modify your environment, brothers and sisters. Gee, we must be unified in what we value, brothers and sisters. Could you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 2. Commend not a man for his beauty, neither abhor a man for his outward appearance. Look at this. <laughs> See, you definitely need this in a Western world society. Commend not a man for his beauty, neither hate him for his outward appearance. Appearance don't matter. That's what this is saying, brothers and sisters. See? And this is for women, too. Why? Because the Bible tells you wisdom is what a woman should value. That's what's going to be commended in a woman, not her, not her shape, not her, uh, you know, not her skin tone, not her eyes. That's the wrong culture. Commend not a man for for his beauty, nor hate the man for his outward appearance. Why? Because you shouldn't value that at all. What you should value is the wisdom in that man or woman. This is the culture that we're looking to implement, brothers and sisters. This is the value that we're looking to implement. Brothers and sisters, the children of Israel have to do some soul searching. They have to start looking at what's in the Bible and comparing themselves to that and saying, am I doing enough? And if I'm not, let me start today. Let me start today. Why? Because the children of Israel are the influencers of the earth. We're the trendsetters, brothers and sisters. And we already know that. You know that. You know we're the trendsetters. So why not do what? Set the right trends, and it starts here, brothers and sisters. Wisdom. So, brothers and sisters, what we've established is what? The value. What do you value? In a kingdom culture, we are to value wisdom above all things, brothers and sisters. Above all things. Further proof. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. In the Apocrypha, chapter 40, we're going to read verse 18, Brother Corey. Ecclesiasticus 40 and 18. To labor and to be content with that a man hath is a sweet life. Is what? Is a sweet life. But he that findeth a treasure is above them both. This is key, brothers and sisters. To labor and to be content with what a man hath is a sweet life. This scripture is telling us that contentment is the real happiness, brothers and sisters. We have to stop chasing happiness and choose contentment. If you choose happiness, excuse me, if you chase happiness, it will always be one step ahead of you, brothers and sisters. If you choose contentment, there's no way to run. So you, this is the mindset that must be established, brothers and sisters. 
in royalty. This is the mindset that must be established. We value wisdom. Everything else, as long as I have my health, hey, when God sees fit to give it to me, I'll take it. And I'm happy wherever he puts me. Why? Because we already established that the king is the owner of everything. Therefore, he can delegate whatever he owns whenever he please, brothers and sisters. This is the culture we have to implement here. Because why? When you're not content, you start doing things like compromising yourself, like selling drugs, like selling your body, like stealing and robbing. Why? Because you're not content. Could you read that one more time, brother? Ecclesiasticus 40 and 18. To labor and to be content with that a man hath is a sweet life. But he that findeth the treasure is above them both. This is critical, brothers and sisters. Contentment. This is something that we must implement. Not only in our lives, but in our children's lives, in our family's lives, brothers and sisters. Why? Because what? In America, we've, be- we've gotten very spoiled. Only in America can you have, you know, four or five TVs, three, four cars, right? hundred pairs of shoes, 50 pairs of jeans. Only in America. Brothers and sisters, we have to tighten up because these things are not what make life, brothers and sisters. Money doesn't make life. Cars doesn't make a good life. What makes a good life? Contentment, brothers and sisters. This is a culture that we have to implement here. Because I don't know a person, I don't know any other nation that can floss like our people. Who, who, who throw hundred dollar bills and, and, and would they, would they make it rain. They call it making it rain. I don't know who, who, who started that. Who stand on top of cars and throw money and pop bottles. Who, who does this? Probably the people with the most influence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, the people with the influence would just get right. Hey. The Bible tells you that the whole earth is out of course because of us, Israel. The whole earth is out of course. So now we have to lay down what the culture is that we must digest, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Timothy, brother Corey. I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 6 and 6. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy 6 and 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What did that say, brother? But godliness with contentment is great gain. The kingdom has a culture of contentment. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. (laughs) Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Brothers and sisters, preoccupation with material things is indication that we are not applying the wisdom contained in biblical literature. Verse 8. <clears throat> and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. That's key. Materialism is indicative of unproper priorities. Verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. But what, brother? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Which do what? Drown men in destruction and perdition. Mm. Brothers and sisters, this particular text, this particular passage magnifies the deceitfulness of wealth, brothers and sisters. The only thing we should be habitually pursuant of is the most high, brothers and sisters. 
Why? Could you read the next scripture? Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. For what? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It's not the money, it's the love for it, brothers and sisters, that will lead you to err from the faith. Why? Because you're compromising yourself. And what will that, what will that bring? Compromising yourself will bring many sorrows, brothers and sisters. See, this is not the culture of the kingdom. That is the culture of democracy. Why? Because in the kingdom, it's a thing called common wealth. <laughs> Everyone has the wealth. It's common. See, in a democracy, it's about individualism, brothers and sisters. Well, this is how I feel. This is what I vote. This is what I think. See? You have to learn again how things operate in a theocracy. How things operate in a monarchy, brothers and sisters. That's the reason for this series. Because many of us have been born and raised in democracy. Therefore, have no understanding of how a kingdom operates, brothers and sisters. Contentment is a foundational point that we must emphasize in our culture, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Philippians 4 and 11. We're staying in the New Testament here, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Philippians 4 and 11. Philippians 4 and 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What has he learned? Whatever state I am therewith to be content. Contentment, brothers and sisters, leads to happiness, and it's easy to have, but few men find it. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. He's saying, I know how to be on the bottom, and I know how to be successful. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look at this, brothers and sisters. One of the greatest mysteries of life is that of contentment. Brothers and sisters, contentment is something that's found. It's not found. It's, it's an attitude. You can't find contentment. It's an attitude. It's an outlook, brothers and sisters. If your eye be evil, your whole body be evil, brothers and sisters. Could you read that from the top? <clears throat> Philippians 4 and 11. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, contentment can be an elusive pursuit, brothers and sisters. The mystery is that it can only be activated through a renewed mind. You must have a renewed mind, brothers and sisters. Paul is saying, yes, of course, I always want to have more, but I'm good here. See, I'm instructed to both be full and hungry. Yeah, if that's all he's given me to eat, I'm fine with that. If he gives me more, I'm fine with that too. See, that is the place where we must find ourselves, brothers and sisters. That is the culture of the kingdom. Contentment. Not being lustful for materialism. Let's go to Luke 3 and 14, brother. This is key. Look at what Christ had to say, brothers and sisters. Dealing with some soldiers and tax collectors. 
We're going to read Luke 3 and let's see here. Let's read Luke 3 and 12 through 14. Luke 3 verse 12. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What did they say? And what shall we do? So here you are having people being baptized and asking Christ, What shall we do now? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And do what? Be content with your wages. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Here Christ is giving instruction on how to produce kingdom culture. Brothers and sisters, kingdom culture is illustrated in peace and the value of truth. And guess what? That's what he's that's what he's showing right here. Could you read 14 one more time? Verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. Guess what? Contentment is a direct derivative of faith, brothers and sisters. A lack of contentment will cause you to compromise. That's why he's saying, be content with your wages. See, he was telling them. Even back then, brothers and sisters. So here we are, we're reading three things here. No violence, truth, and content. That is kingdom culture for you, brothers and sisters. Kingdom citizens should exhibit the attitudes of restraint, truthfulness, and contentment, brothers and sisters. That's right out of Christ's own mouth, brothers and sisters. We should not, you know, uh, follow cash trying to make more money. Listen, the most I know what you need, but if you, if you continue to chase money, guess what? You're going to look up and it's going to be the end of your life. Because money is elusive when you chase it. Let the money come to you, brothers and sisters. The Bible tell you he know what you have need of. Be content with your wages. I know too many people who compromise themselves, you know, and do some level of acrobatics to make more money. Manage the money properly and you don't have to compromise to make more money. Brothers and sisters, do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. Brothers and sisters. This is the culture we must implement. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. Brother, we're going to the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, please follow us. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Throughout the Bible. We can find comprehensive criticism concerning malcontents, brothers and sisters. We're going to have Brother Corey read that one more time. Verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance will increase. This is also vanity. This is vanity, brothers and sisters. So the culture of the kingdom is to be satisfied with what you have until the Most High sees fit to give you more, brothers and sisters. That is is the culture that we must embrace, brothers and sisters. So what we've gone into is the values. We are to value wisdom above silver and gold and, and money, brothers and sisters. 
cars and clothes and, and women, women and boyfriends and wisdom is the most important thing, brothers and sisters. We must implement that. That is part of a kingdom culture, brothers and sisters. Let's go to, let's move to our next tenant, brothers and sisters. Our next tenant is going to be poverty. Why? Because there's a culture in heaven that is revealed when poverty is around, brothers and sisters. Our kingdom culture is revealed in how well we take care of each other. When people are hungry, the culture of heaven feeds them. When, when people are thirsty, the culture of heaven says, I'll give you something to drink. We have to implement that culture. Let's show you by going to Psalms 41 and 1, brothers and sisters. Culture is evident in how the poor are treated in a particular society. Psalms 41 verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him. Could you read that one more time from the top, brother? Psalms 41 verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. That's key. Blessed is he who considereth the poor. This kind of consideration is demanded in kingdom culture. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will what, brother? Deliver him in time of trouble. Look at that, brothers and sisters. This is showing you something here. This is showing us that what? Kingdom citizens are obligated to practice this level of sympathy. Why? Because the Most High blesses people who take care of those who cannot take care of themselves, brothers and sisters. Read 1 and 2 one more time, brother. Psalms 41, verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. He shall what? He shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Brothers and sisters, he who is merciful to the afflicted shall obtain mercy when afflicted himself. Brothers and sisters. So we have to understand that we must consider the poor. If you consider the poor, guess what happens? You're preserved when affliction come on you and blessed. This is a kingdom principle here, brothers and sisters. I wonder how America treats their poor. Supposed to be the most powerful country, the richest country. They're building skyscrapers and condos and going to wars while we got homeless people right here in our own backyard. See, when you look at how the poor is treated, that's evidence of the values of a certain society, brothers and sisters. The culture of the kingdom is doing what we're reading here, brothers and sisters. Further proof, let's go to Leviticus. 23 and 22 to show you how serious this was amongst the children of Israel, even in times past. Leviticus 23 and 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the Most High told the children of Israel, when you harvest the land, make sure you leave the corners for the poor. See? So a farmer couldn't come and just reap everything that's there. He couldn't take, he had to reap from the middle and leave the corners for those who were less fortunate, brothers and sisters. This is how serious it was for the Most High. I wonder if there's farmers doing that now. This is kingdom culture here. Kingdom culture is to prioritize charity, brothers and sisters. 
This is not optional. It's a prerequisite, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time, brother? Leviticus 23 and 22. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Look at that. Here we're reading a stipulation of philanthropy, brothers and sisters. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. See, this is the culture that must be implemented by the children of Israel. Why? Because the children of Israel are the trendsetters. So if the children of Israel do this, guess what? The rest of the world will emulate. To magnify that point, we have to go to Proverbs, excuse me, Psalms 82 and 3. Chapter 82, verse 3. Psalms 82, verse 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. What did that say, brother? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This is a biblical call to stand up for those in need. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This is required everywhere in the scriptures. Worthy to be written with letters of gold on the walls of our hearts. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Why do you need to defend the poor and the fatherless? Because these people are taken advantage of. The poor are usually taken advantage of by those who have some level of um, some level of estate. And the fatherless, there's no father. So there obviously is no protection there. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Could you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 4. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Do what? Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. To show you wicked people will take advantage of the poor and needy. Brothers and sisters. See? So we are supposed to be defenders of the less fortunate, brothers and sisters. That is the kingdom principle of charity. That is the kingdom principle of philanthropy. How do you treat the poor? That's our culture. Our culture is to defend the less fortunate, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 28 and 27, Brother Corey. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. Proverbs 28 and 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This is a biblical law of economics. Can you read that one more time? Verse 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Mm. He that giveth to the poor shall not lack. Brothers and sisters, this economic mystery is not taught in any business school. This is a promise to the charitable, brothers and sisters. If you give unto the poor, you will not lack. But guess what? If you hide, knowing that you have a way in which you can help, you're going to bring forth a curse on your own head, brothers and sisters. See? This is kingdom culture here, brothers and sisters. This is kingdom culture. These are natural laws here, brothers and sisters. 
You reap what you sow. What you put out there in the earth, you will get back. And you'll get it back 10, 20 times, brothers and sisters. Whether that's righteousness or it's evil, brothers and sisters. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. They need to put this scripture in, in financial classes, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 15 and 11. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. For what, brother? The poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother. Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Brothers and sisters, Israel has always been a distinct people because of our strong sense of community. We always understood that if we band together, everybody prospers, brothers and sisters. So look at what he commanded. Can you read that again? Deuteronomy 15 and 11. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Brothers and sisters, he commanded us to be open-handed towards the vulnerable. We bear mutual responsibility for each other's welfare. That is the mind state, brothers and sisters. That is the mind state we must begin to implement. This is the culture we must begin to implement. It says the poor shall never cease out of the land. You're always going to have poor, poor people. Open thy hand wide to thy brother. Brothers and sisters, these are things we must implement. Take a look at the mirror. Excuse me. Take a look in the mirror and start comparing yourself to the scriptures that we're reading and say, Am I doing good enough? If I am, what about the other tenants? Am I doing well enough on that? I'm sure I could be better at everything. We must make a concerted effort, brothers and sisters, to be doing the things that we're finding here in scriptures. Therefore, we can influence the other nations to do the same. We're showing you that the Most High cares about the poor. And see, I pulled this to an atheist. I pulled this to a Buddhist and to a Muslim. What is there that's wrong in the Bible? What is there that's wrong in the Bible? Why won't you follow this? You have a problem with God saying, look out for the poor? <laughs> is that what you have a problem with? See? There's no, the Bible is flawless. It gives you morality. It gives you values. It gives you prophecy. Brothers and sisters, there is not one evil thing commanded in the Bible. Brothers and sisters. Brother Corey, let's go to Proverbs 21 and 13. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 21 and 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. <laughs> Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor... He also shall cry himself. He shall what? He shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. To ignore a legitimate need when you become aware of it is the epitome of worldly culture, brothers and sisters. If you refuse to ignore a legitimate need when you become aware of it, that's the epitome of kingdom culture, brothers and sisters. Now, notice we said legitimate. 
Because I'm not going to give a brother $20 so he can go get a bag of marijuana. That's not legitimate to me. I'm not going to give a brother $5 because he, he want a beer. <laughs> not going to do that, brothers and sisters. If someone has a legitimate need and I become aware of it, I am compelled. I feel compelled, according to the scriptures that we're reading here, to do my part, brothers and sisters. Can you read Proverbs 21 and 13 again, brother? Verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. See, he shall also cry himself, but shall not be heard. So he commands us to have a compassionate heart towards the poor. Because if you don't, when the opportunity comes for you to need some assistance, you shall not be heard, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 19 and 17. What does that say, brother Corey? Proverbs 19 and 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. What does that say? He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. Look at that, brothers and sisters. This is a kingdom principle. A heavenly secret. Giving to the poor will bring financial blessings to the giver. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. Look at that. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. Helping the poor financially is like making a loan to the most high. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> Economic prosperity has never been so easy. See? The Bible has secrets. We're, I mean, you can't find this information in any other record. Brothers and sisters. You cannot. See? He that hath pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord. Why? Because all things you do, you do unto the Lord. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> now remember, that word Lord means what? Owner. See? So when you give to the poor, you're only giving what God has made you a steward of. You're not the owner. You have to understand that. That's a kingdom principle. When you live in a kingdom, everything belongs to the king. You own nothing. Now, brothers and sisters, we just dealt with what? We dealt with how the kingdom's culture is reflected in how you treat the less fortunate. This is something that is very important to the Most High. And it's something that each and every one of us listening to this particular broadcast should take serious. And do our due diligence to be able to do something for those people. It, the scripture already said you always have poor people. Now, of course, we're not telling you to go bankrupt yourself. But if you have it and you can spare it, you should feel obligated to do so, brothers and sisters. Now... We're going to move on to our next tenet. And that tenet is respect for the leadership of the elderly, brothers and sisters. A culture is manifested in how you treat the aged people in the community. We're going to prove that by going to Leviticus 19 and 32. Because we're living in a society that does not respect old, older people. Leviticus 19 and 32. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God. I am the Lord. 
this theme runs throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. To, and that's to give deference to the age. That's why it says the hoary hair, that's the gray hair or the white hair. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 32. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. See, an attitude of respect for the older generation, brothers and sisters. This is the principle of honor that should be replicated by all kingdom citizens, brothers and sisters. How we treat the elderly, especially dealing in a time where it appears that everyone takes advantage or disregards those of age, brothers and sisters. In times past, the aged people were, the, were some of the most important because they had the knowledge to be able to pass down, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, I tell you, when these other nations took us into captivity, they killed the older generation. They killed them. Why? Because they had the knowledge of who we were, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's go forward. Let's go to 1 Timothy 5 and 1 to magnify that particular point of giving deference to the aged, brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy 5, we're going to read 1 and 2, brother. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Brothers and sisters, this is a proclamation that we should treat the aged with dignity and respect. And treat him as a father, and younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers. See, if we had this, this interdependent uh, sight, brothers and sisters, this interdependent vision amongst the children of Israel, how, man, how good could things be, brothers and sisters? Right now, we have an independent thought processes. But before, we had an interdependent thought process where we needed each other. And if we could help each other, respect each other, we could win, brothers and sisters. We have to get back to this. That's why we're utilizing the Bible to show us what the culture of the kingdom is. Because we are to implement it here on earth. That's why he sent us here, brothers and sisters. He sent us here to bring the culture from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm, brothers and sisters. That's what colonization is. When you send someone from the motherland to another territory to implement their culture. That's our job, brothers and sisters. That's the children of Israel's duty, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, Brother Corey, 25 and 5. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus chapter 25, verse 5. We're dealing with how we respect leadership. Ecclesiasticus 25, verse 5. Oh, how comely is the wisdom of old men, and understanding and counsel to men of honor. Much experience is the crown of old men, and the fear of God is their glory. Brothers and sisters, the literature suggests that the aged are due double on. We are to display admiration to the age. Check this out. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 5. Oh, how comely is the wisdom of old men and the understanding and counsel to men of honor. Much experience is the crown of old men and the fear of God is their glory. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Remember, we said that crown is power. 
brothers and sisters. Much experience is the power of old men. Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? Take every opportunity to demonstrate honor to the age. Give ear to the wisdom of the age, brothers and sisters. Why? They have a lifetime of experience to share. See? They've lived, you know, through different phases, brothers and sisters. They've experienced things that some of us have never seen. Some of, you know, um, some of the older people in our uh, in our communities, they lived when there was segregation, brothers and sisters. They remember things. They remember when we had our own, uh, you know, we had our own hospitals, our own schools. They have a wealth of knowledge. They can tell you what has changed since that time, brothers and sisters. I love to sit with older people because certain things I just don't know because I've never experienced brothers and sisters. Anytime I sit with an older person, I just, you know, I bask in the ambiance because they have so much knowledge. They have more knowledge than, you know, they have forgotten more knowledge than we probably know, brothers and sisters. I don't care how many scriptures you know. I don't care how long you think you know and you're an Israelite. There's certain knowledge that you can only get with life's experience, brothers and sisters. We have to begin to respect the age. Why? Because now they don't respect us. <laughs> They're like these young whippersnappers don't never want to listen. I'm done with them. See, that's really what they wanted. When you read the um, the slave manual of Willie Lynch, one of the principles was to turn the age on the young, turn the light against the dark. Why? Because if you turn the el- the elders against the youth, then that's exactly what they need. Take the person with the wisdom away from the ones with the strength. Brothers and sisters, this what we're reading here is the culture of the kingdom. So brothers and sisters, we've now dealt with how we are to treat, how we are supposed to have deference uh, and reverence and honor brothers and sisters, for those of age. That's culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters. But there's something else we have to look into. We have to look into a community of correction, brothers and sisters. We must be able to correct each other uh, when we transgress. Why? Why do we say that? Because in the black community, at least, we anyone who's black understands no snitching. And snitches get stitches. And all that, all that culture that's been running rampant through our community due to what? Hip-hop and rap culture. Where now I have to almost, I have to conceal the fact that you're doing sin that's tearing down our community. See, that's not godly, brothers and sisters. In fact, it's the opposite of kingdom culture. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Brother Corey, let's go to 1 Timothy, brother. We're going to go to 1 Timothy 5 and 20. Let's see what that has to say. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 5, verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. What did that say, brother? Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Now, brothers and sisters, a person persistent in gross wrongdoing should be rebuked and denounced publicly. Why? That others may be kept from committing the same offense. See, this is the foundation of a correcting mentality that we must have not to offend we're talking about when a brother is doing something against his community 
Not, I'm not going to know that a brother is selling dope on the street and say, well, he ain't selling it to my people. You know, he ain't selling it to my family. Nah. If you try that in a white man's community, guess what's going to happen? They all going to come down there with some guns. <laughs> and they're going to say, well, listen, you in the wrong part of town, boy. You in the wrong neighborhood. They're not going to call the police. They're going to handle it themselves. How do we know? Because when you turn the music up too loud <laughs> and you live near them, they come knock on the door. See, we have to get just like that, brothers and sisters. Somebody doing some level of sin to tear down and destroy our own people. We have to let them know respectfully. Can you read that again, brother? First Timothy five, verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all. Do what? Them that sin rebuke before all. The others also may fear. See, discipline is administered to not only save the perpetrator, but also to save others as well, brothers and sisters. Why? Because when we cover up sins, we corrupt the morality and the virtue of a nation, brothers and sisters. Here we are. This scripture is, is illustrating that we're commanded not to accommodate sin, brothers and sisters, where brother can commit a murder and then, you know, just walk around. And people know who did it. See? Now, am I saying call the police? No. You you deal with it. We, we deal with it as a church. If it's something going on in our community, the sisters say, well, listen, um, you know, somebody got molested or something like that. What do you do? You get the brothers from the church, and they're all white. 10, 15 brothers. You go knock on that door and ask the brother to come outside. We need an explanation, brother. We need an explanation because you need to have the fear that something can happen. If he continue on this path, we're tired of overlooking sin. That's why our community is the way it is now, brothers and sisters. We have to hold each other accountable. That is the kingdom culture. Let's go to James 5 and 19, Brother Corey. Let's see what James has to say concerning this matter. James 5, 19 and 20. James 5, verse 19. Brethren. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. <clears throat> Can you read that one more time? Verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. See, brothers and sisters, what we've been doing with this no snitching policy is the opposite. Of what the Bible is commanding us to do. It says if any brother err from the truth and one convert him. You've just saved the soul from death. Brothers and sisters. See this is something serious. This is serious brothers and sisters. We can't conceal sin. That is not what the disciples would do. That is not what Christ would do. Brothers and sisters. Listen brother. Listen we can't allow you to sell drugs on this corner anymore brother. We know your family. You grew up here, brother. But we can't do this. Take this somewhere else, brother. Take this somewhere else. You can't do this any longer. We have to be able to do this, brothers and sisters. And guess what? If a brother or a sister correct me or admonish me respectfully, and I know I'm wrong, then I can't get offended by that. I can't go shoot up the block now. See? So it goes both ways, brothers and sisters. We must be able to accept correction. Because we can't even do that now. If you try to correct a brother... He's likely to go get a shotgun. See? So this is both ways, brothers and sisters. We have to learn how to accept correction. We're going to show you that. 
Let's go to Psalms 141, brother. Psalms chapter 141. We're going to read verse. Let's read verse verse five, brother Corey. Psalms 141 verse five. Let the righteous smite me. Let what? Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Look at that. Let the righteous smite me. Look at this, brothers and sisters. <laughs> it says, it shall be kindness. Consider reproof by a righteous man a true act of kindness, brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's a sign of maturation. See? If a righteous brother or sister correct me when I've been wrong, I'm not going to get offended. I'm going to thank that brother. I'm going to love that brother because he saved my soul. If you see a brother getting ready to walk off a cliff, are you go, will you say nothing? Or will you say, brother? Brother, there's a cliff. See? Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamity. If the righteous smite me, with severity of words, take it as an act of kindness and benevolence, brothers and sisters. This scripture is telling us what? Do not reject the admonition of the upright, brothers and sisters. See, so this is both ways. A brother should, you know, be able to come to me if he believe I've transgressed and allow me to explain myself. Whether I'm right or wrong. And I should be able to accept it. See? But it's key, though. Something key here. Let the righteous smite me. <laughs> See, that's the thing. A brother who's not living righteous has no business correcting anyone. And that's why most of us won't do it. <laughs> See? It all starts with the righteousness. It all starts with the submission. It all starts with the obedience. Because why? If I'm being obedient, then I will feel comfortable enough to be able to correct a brother in the spirit of meekness. I've had many brothers say before, you know, Brothers in the world, well, I can't really say nothing to them, man. I'm not really doing the right thing. See, that's that's Satan's trap right there. That's Satan's trap. Because you're not doing right, you allow everyone else to do wrong. That have destroyed our communities, brothers and sisters. That have destroyed our communities. The man that I am today, and the man that, you know, we have become through the Bible, many of the brothers that are uh, listening to our broadcast, they would not allow this. They would not allow this. If a brother is doing something to destroy himself, destroy his own people, we would speak to the brother and, and have courage to do so. The Most High did not give us a spirit of fear, but of courage, but of peace and a sound mind, brothers and sisters. This is the mindset that we must carry with us. Let the righteous smite me and it shall be kindness. You do this in some of these ghettos in America, you will end up dead. I don't like the way you're talking to me, dog. <laughs> Come on, man. Grow up. We got to grow up, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 27 and 5, Brother Corey. We're talking about a culture of correction. <clears throat> Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. What did that say, brother? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Rather than pretending all is well, rather than flatter with compliments. <laughs> See, 
Open rebuke is better than secret love. Why? Because most of us will say, well, I love him. That's my friend. So I really don't want to correct. No, open rebuke is better than secret love. Secret love, meaning I know he's wrong, but I'm not going to say anything about it because it's my friend or because it's my family. Rather than pretending all is well, rather than flattering with compliments. See? Read that one more time, please, brother. Proverbs 27 and 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Than a love that conceals when reproof should be appropriate. Why? Though it put a man to shame, it doeth him good. Brothers and sisters. See? Rebuking a brother for sin is true love. Not correcting him is truly hatred. Brothers and sisters. How do we know? Could you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's how. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. See? Why? Because, listen, I'm trying to help you out here, brother. You're going to bring the judgment of the Most High God on you, brother. If I know you're doing something wrong, I'm going you know, to admonish you meekly. Say, listen, brother, that's a miscalculation, brother. That's ill-advised. That's ill-advised. What can I do to help you, brother? Be right. Because I, you're better than this, brother. You're better than this. Uh, yeah. Verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Brothers and sisters, many times in the Bible, it tells you that enemy, the enemy loves to see us sin. Understanding that we're going to be destroyed. <laughs> and then they laugh. They love it. When they see you sin, and then you're, you're humbled and brought low, they love it, brothers and sisters. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful to show you that someone who gives you a kiss or a compliment knowing that you sin is an enemy. And it's deceitful. See, brothers and sisters? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A person who know you're doing wrong and still compliments you and go all, you know, like nothing is wrong, is actually an enemy, brothers and sisters. That's actually an enemy. You have to have the faith to be able to say, brother, you can't do that around me. If you if you continue to do that, you're going to jeopardize your ability, our ability to be together, brother. You're going to jeopardize our ability to hang together because I can't be around perpetual sin, purposeful sin, brother. See? And if a brother or sister value your relationship, guess what? They'll they'll clean it up. At least around you. See? This is the culture we're trying to implement here on earth, brothers and sisters. To be able to rebuke a brother. Now, of course, if a brother do something to me personally, scripture tell you, pull that brother aside. And if he don't hear you, then you bring you bring an audience with you. And, and if he don't hear the church, he don't hear the witnesses that you have with you, then you cast the brother off. But what we're talking about is uh, open rebuke is better than secret love. This is not when we're talking about a brother offending me. If a brother have done something that is going to hurt the community, something against our people publicly, guess what? If you've done something publicly, you got to be corrected publicly. Brother Corey, let's go to Galatians 6 and 1. Follow us to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Galatians 6, verse 1. 
Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. In the spirit of what? Meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If a man be overtaken in a fault. So, brothers and sisters, Galatians illustrates the duty of brotherly admonition and reproof. See, the exercise of discipline is a delicate and dangerous work. That's why it says meekness. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. In the spirit of? In the spirit of meekness. Meekness? Why, brothers and sisters? Because temptation easily transfers, especially if a man endeavors to cure another without preserving his own meekness, brothers and sisters. This is the kingdom duty to an erring brother. He that be, or ye that be spiritual. See, that's the key right there. Only those who are dealing with righteousness who are mature have the ability to be able to restore and correct the brother. This is delicate business. This is delicate, brothers and sisters. If a brother is already wrong, you don't have to make him feel, you know, it's already humbling to have a brother come and correct you. So you have to be very careful on how you utilize your words, brothers and sisters. Very careful how you utilize your words not to offend. Why? Because a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city, Proverbs tell us. Now, brothers and sisters, a no, another key component to every country or culture is language, brothers and sisters. Language. Let us prove that. We're going to go to Zephaniah. Follow us to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. We're going to Zephaniah 3 and 9. Zephaniah 3 and 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. To serve him with one consent. This is a future prophecy. I will turn the people back to a pure language. Brothers and sisters. Language is the primary and the greatest manifestation of a nation's culture. Brothers and sisters. Your language, <clears throat> your language is the key to your national identity. That's why when Hispanics come into America, you'll have Edomites telling them... You need to learn to speak English. Why? Because it weakens the power, brothers and sisters, when you keep your language. Why do you think they made us speak another language? They separated us from our original dialect, our original tongue, and made us speak English. There was a purpose for that, brothers and sisters. Could you read 9 one more time? Verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. To serve him with one consent. To serve him with one consent. Brothers and sisters, language separates one people from another. Remember the Tower of Babel? He didn't say he divided them based on color. He divided them based on language. Brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God, its citizens have their own language. Why? Because language creates a national unity. Now, <clears throat> there's something else that we have to speak on. Concerning language, because not only the actual dialect, but the manner of speech, brothers and sisters. For example, you have what we call African-American colloquialisms. In our community, there's certain words that, you know, 
we use as what they call, what do they call it? Ebonics, I think they call it. Right. So there's certain words that if I heard a white person saying, I would understand they have black friends. Anyone black understands what I'm talking about. There's a certain way in which we speak. You know, we have to make everything cool. You know, there's words that only we use, brothers and sisters, and those who try to be like us. So manner of speech is important, brothers and sisters, because that's part of culture. Just like black people today have a culture in how we speak to each other. Like even, for example, we there's one time where our people called each other the N-word. <laughs> like that was part of the culture. And it wasn't, it was a term of endearment. It wasn't even a term of disrespect. See, that's a culture, brothers and sisters. That's rap culture. We don't do that mess. But nevertheless, we're speaking on manner of speech. Not just language. We understand, according to Zephaniah, it's prophetic. That we will get back the pure language of, of uh, Hebrew, the dialect of ancient Phoenician Hebrew. But until then, there's still a manner in speech that we must be identified by, brothers and sisters. And we're going to prove that by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to have Brother Corey read verse 10. What does that say, brother? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Christ that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Brothers and sisters, language and manner of speech creates a national unity. See? So when a nation doesn't have a common manner of speech, the unity of the people begins to break down. So our people must speak with the same manner, brothers and sisters. We... Manner of speech and language, it distinguishes a culture, brothers and sisters. We're going to prove that. Matter of fact, you can see it already. I've seen um, online where you'll have what they call, I think they call it cultural appropriation or something like that online. Where you'll have white girls or, or whatever the case may be speaking a certain way and then people will say, well, she's trying to be black. She don't really talk like that. What does that mean? Exactly. There's a certain manner in which we speak, brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about that. Let's go to Ephesians, brother, 4 and 29. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and 29, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Brothers and sisters, corrupt speech is associated with the culture of the world. Our words are a powerful influence on in how the world perceives us. So we must understand that. If we're going to implement this culture, you must understand this culture is to refrain from corrupt communication. Could you read that one more time? Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. But what? That which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. That it may what, brother? Minister grace unto the hearer. Speak in beneficial ways about meaningful things. Why? The goal is to show grace to those who are listening to our words 
brothers and sisters. So this scripture is telling us to make our mouths a means of grace. We have to do this, brothers and sisters. This is how you implement a culture here. Let's go to Psalms 34 and 12, Brother Corey. We're talking about manner of speech here, brothers and sisters. 34 and 12. Psalms 34 verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil. Do what? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist tells us what? Tells us to temper the tongue and bind it to good etiquette. Brothers and sisters, we must abandon all appropriate speech because it's a misrepresentation of kingdom culture. Brothers and sisters, could you read those two scriptures again, brother? Verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Unruly speech is a falsification of kingdom culture. Brothers and sisters. Have somebody ever said to you, you speak like that? <laughs> I thought you was a Christian. I thought you was, a, thought you was an Israelite. See? Even the world expect better of you. Brothers and sisters. We have to understand that. We're going to work on this. Each and every one of us individually are going to work on controlling our tongue. It says, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days to show you? If you can control your tongue, you can have lengthened days. But a person who cannot control their tongue, they won't live that long, brothers and sisters. They will not live that long. Anyone growing up, Amongst black people understand this. How many fights have we seen based on what somebody have said? Brothers and sisters. Let's magnify that. Let's go to Proverbs 10 and 20, Brother Corey. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20. Today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is on what? It's the kingdom culture. It's the culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters. That's what we're dealing with today. We're going through the Bible. Front to back, Old Testament, New Testament, apographer to show you what is the culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 10, verse 20. The tongue of the just is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. Can you read that one more time? The tongue of the just is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. Brothers and sisters, our speech is a reflection of our heart. Okay, brothers and sisters, why the Bible tell you what comes out the mouth, it comes from the heart, brothers and sisters. See, that's key. Jump to verse 31 really quick, brother. Proverbs 10 and 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. Mm. Verse 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Read that again. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. Brothers and sisters, kingdom citizens are to always maintain the language of heaven. The literature emphasizes the importance of proper speech. The righteous, brothers and sisters, they know what is acceptable. So you know what's acceptable, brothers and sisters, and anything else will not be accepted. This is critical. This is key because how are you going to influence this particular culture and you cannot control your mouth brothers and sisters 
This is the first thing. This is the very first thing. This is one of the most important things is controlling speech, brothers and sisters. Brother Corey, let's go to Proverbs 21 and 23. We're talking about manner of speech. The kingdom culture of speech, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 21 and 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. Unruled speech will always bring misfortune, brothers and sisters. The scripture is showing us. Could you read it again? Verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. An unbridled tongue is allergic to prosperity, brothers and sisters. So this is a call to governing of the tongue. This is the culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Keeping a lid on it, controlling what we say. Controlling negativity that comes out of our mouth. Not only negativity. We're going to show you something here. You probably didn't know this was in the Bible. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, in the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus 23 and 7. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Many people don't even know this is in the Bible. Ecclesiasticus 23, we're going to read verse 7. Ecclesiasticus 23, verse 7. Hear, O ye children, the discipline of the mouth. He that keepeth it shall never be taken in his lips. The discipline of the mouth, brothers and sisters. We must learn to discipline our mouth. What is this speaking of? Verse 9 will tell us. Ecclesiasticus 23 and 9. Accustom not thy mouth to swear. Do what? Accustom not thy mouth to swearing, neither use thyself to naming of the Holy One. Brothers and sisters, look at this. The nature of profanity is always negative. When our mouths are spewing out expletives, it ruins our witness to the audience. It's telling you, accustom not your mouth to swearing, neither use thyself to the naming of the Holy One. Can you read the next scripture, brother? Verse 10. For as a servant that is continually beaten shall not be without a blue mark, so he that sweareth and nameth God continually shall not be faultless. Look at this, brothers and sisters. If you continue to curse, this is twofold here. If you are cursing and you're claiming that you're representing God, you shall not be faultless. Also, not only that, but if you swear on God, because people do that too. I swear to I swear to Hold on. See, brothers and sisters? If a person is swearing, how can you be representing the Most High? And then not only that, but you'll swear on His name. I hear people say, you know, G-O-D-D-A-M. Control your speech, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you why. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 10. For as a servant that is continually beaten shall not be without a blue mark, so he that sweareth and nameth God continually shall not be faultless. A man that uses much swearing shall be filled with iniquity. Read that again. Brother. A man that useth much swearing shall be filled with iniquity. And the plague shall, not, shall never depart from his house. If he shall offend, his sin shall be upon him. And if he acknowledge not his sin, he maketh a double offense. And if he swear in vain, he shall not be innocent. But his house shall be full of calamity. Brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this here. A person who does a lot of cussing shall be filled with iniquity, brothers and sisters. The plague shall never depart from their house. And it says if he shall offend. Why is it saying 
if he shall offend, because usually cusses will offend, brothers and sisters. They have no control over their mouth. I really need you to, to see this, brothers and sisters. Could you read verse 12, brother? Verse 12. There is a word that is clothed about with death. God grant that it be not found in the heritage of Jacob. Look at that. See, God grant it not be found in the heritage of Jacob. There's a certain manner in which we don't speak, brothers and sisters, the children of Israel, the heritage of Jacob, the Hebrew Israelites. Could you read 12 one more time, brother? Verse 12. There is a word that is clothed about with death. God grant that it be not found in the heritage of Jacob. For all such things shall be far from the godly. For what? All such things shall be far from the godly. Mm. And they shall not wallow in their sins. Use not thy mouth to intemperate swearing. Look at that. For therein is the word of sin. Use not thy mouth to intemperate swearing. Brothers and sisters, when our mouths are spewing out expletives, it ruins our opportunity to witness. Why? Because it shows us, it shows those around us that maybe we truly aren't transformed inside and out. Therefore, calling into question the legitimacy of our change, brothers and sisters. I don't see how a brother going to cuss me out or be dealing with all this cussing and then uh, say, okay, pull out Romans chapter one. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm good, brother. Thank you, though. <laughs> I'm good. I see our people doing this all the time. Israelites out there on the corners cussing. Cussing up a storm with the Bible in their hand. I'm like, I mean, Christ never did this. It's not godly, brother. Plus, you muddy the waters when you do that. You're just muddying the waters. Keep the waters clear, brothers and sisters. Can you read 13 one more time, brother? Ecclesiastes 23 and 13. Use not thy mouth to intemperate swearing, for therein is the word of sin. Remember thy father and thy mother. When thou sittest among great men, be not forgetful before them. And so thou by thy custom become a fool and wish that thou had not been born and curse the day of thy nativity. It's talking about, you know, making your parents ashamed because why? When you sit before people and you're doing all this cursing, they'll ask you like, this how you, who raised you? Who raised you? Your, your mother and father raised you to talk like this? See? Continue, brother. Verse 15. The man that is accustomed to opprobrious words will never be reformed all the days of his life. Mm. See? That's showing you something, brothers and sisters. The person who love to swear will never be reformed all the days of their life. Why? Because it shows a level of arrogance. It shows a level or a lack of humility, brothers and sisters. What comes out of your mouth is an indication of what has a home in your heart. It tranquilizes our power to witness. Therefore, we must make a concerted effort to lessen our use of colorful language every day, brothers and sisters, or else it will result in an inability to witness effectively, brothers and sisters. See, this is what, when I hear a brother cursing and doing all that, this is the scripture that pops right in my mind. The man that is accustomed to opprobrious words will never be reformed all the days of his life. This is exactly the scripture that pops into my head, brothers and sisters. Because these are the ones, that one you better watch. That's the one you better watch. Now, 
brothers and sisters, let's move on to the next manifestation of culture. Culture manifests itself in the way people dress, brothers and sisters. How we dress speaks volumes about our values and ideas. So what we're going to show is another distinctive feature of cultural identity is dress or style of dress. And we're going to prove that. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus, Stanley Apocrypha, chapter 19. We're going to read verse 29 and 30, Brother Corey. Ecclesiasticus 19, verse 29. A man may be known by his look. What does that say? A man may be known by his look, and one that hath understanding by his countenance, when thou meetest him. A man's attire and excessive laughter and gait show what he is. There's a certain demeanor that kingdom citizens are to carry themselves with that identifies them as children of the king, brothers and sisters. Can you read that from the top, brothers? Verse 29. A man may be known by his look, and one that hath understanding by his countenance. When thou meetest him, a man's attire and excessive laughter and gait show what he is. Brothers and sisters, we should always dress in a manner that accurately reflects our status as members of the royal family. Your apparel and upkeep will usually dictate a person's impressions of you. That's why it says a man may, may be known by his look and one that have understanding by his countenance in his face. See, brothers and sisters? See? So our clothes say a great deal about who we are. Our presentation contributes to how a person will perceive us. Now, a brother may say, well, it shouldn't be like that. Or a sister may say, even though I got, you know, even though I got a police uniform on, I'm not a police. Listen, if you have a harlot's uniform on, I mean, you know, you really can't fault a brother for addressing you like a harlot. Now, it may not be right, but nevertheless... You can't fault a brother for walking up to a sister that have a police uniform on and ask her for help. We have to be very careful, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't, of course, we should not judge people based on how they're dressed. But nevertheless, the Bible is telling you when the brothers come in with their pants sagging, blunt in their mouth, draws showing, dirty draws showing, that show you all you need to know. Let's show you all that you need to know. See? This is critical. This is key, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 28, brother. Because we're talking about dress here. We're talking about apparel. We're talking about attire, brothers and sisters. Every culture has a way in which they dress. When you go into Asia, they wear those oriental garbs, right? When you go into the Middle East, they, you know, the sisters have those... Those things covering their face and their head. They got on turbans over there. So every culture has a manner of dress, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 28. <clears throat> Matthew 5 verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Examine that, brothers and sisters. Examine that closely. Can you read that again? Verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. It is important to dress in a way that minimizes temptation for others, sisters. Brothers also, understand that immodest dress frequently causes others to lust. 
therefore, we must construct a culture that values modesty, brothers and sisters. See, when you walk around America, that's not the culture of modesty. You can pretty much wear whatever you want (laughs) and as little as you want. The culture here is telling you if a brother look after a woman to lust after her, he's already committed sin. Therefore, it's the responsibility of not only the brother, but the sister, not to cause her brother to stumble. We're going to show you something here. Let's go to Proverbs 7 and 10, brother. We're almost done here. We got to get through a couple more tenets, though, a couple more manifestations here. Proverbs 7, verse 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot. Read that one more time. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. The spirit of harlotry is distinguished by apparel, brothers and sisters, which is designed to captivate weak and unwary minds. See? Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 10. And behold, there, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. The attire of a harlot. So a harlot will utilize clothing designed and worn to attract men's eyes. Brothers and sisters, see, that's the attire of a harlot. Trying to show her shape. Trying to look voluptuous. Trying to have a brother look at her. See? Brothers and sisters, our manner of dress shows what we are. So you will know a seductress when you see her. And it says, it says, subtle of heart, which means she's crafty and deceptive in her ways. She knew what the objective was when she put the garbs on, when she put the clothing on, brother. See, you can know the person dealing with the spirit of a seductress by the way in which they dress. We must understand this when we're dealing with kingdom culture, a culture of modesty, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Just because we have the right to do something doesn't mean we should exercise that right. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. See, because a sister could say, I ain't no slave. I can wear what I want to wear. Yeah, you could wear what you want to wear. But what about the brothers that's stumbling based on this? If your liberty will be a stumbling block, you should abstain. That's that's the type of culture that we're looking to to have here. We will be held accountable if our level of ineptitude affects our brother's spiritual walk. See, we need our sisters to care about that. We need our sisters to care about that. Why would you want your brother to sin? And usually the sisters that are dressing revealingly, you know, they lose themselves trying to look like some of these models out here. That's what happens. Get knocked up, have brothers come sleep with you and never call you again. Yeah, that's what happens. You know who's available based on the attire. Modesty, brothers and sisters. Modesty. We're going to go to 1 John 2 and 10. 1 John, brothers and sisters. 
not the gospel. First John two and ten. First John two, verse ten. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Look at that. Demonstrate love by avoiding dressing in a manner that encourages lust. Could you read that one more time? Verse ten. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. See, brothers and sisters, demonstrate love by avoiding clothing that draws attention to one's figure. If you're going to err, err on the side of caution. See, this is what we need from the children of Israel. Yeah, you may want to wear it. You may think you're fine and all that. But I mean, what about all the other brothers? What about everybody out there, though? Brothers losing families over this stuff. Losing wives over this stuff. Our sisters have a responsibility in this also. Absolutely. A brother can control what he's looking at and what he's doing. But why help Why help the brother fall? Why, why put the banana peel right there on the ground? We have responsibility to each other, brothers and sisters. See, that's what democracy do. Democracy make you just independent where you only care about yourself. If you are a child of God, you don't do anything to be a stumbling block to a brother or a sister. It's brothers too, because brothers be doing certain stuff too, understanding sisters, they get weak also. So brothers got to be, you know, brothers got to be on that too. Let's go to Deuteronomy 22 and 5, brother, because we're talking about manner of dress here. And this is critical here. This is vital. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches that our attire should be distinct to our gender. God desires a clear distinction, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time? Verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Dress in a manner that is distinct to our gender, brothers and sisters, as much as possible. Even in Israel, in ancient times, you had... It looks like the same type of garb, brothers and sisters, that the men and the women wore. But there was distinctions in that garb. The man's garb was shorter than the woman's garb. So we understand that there's certain things that a man and woman can wear. You know, like uh, I'm not going to say because a brother wear shirts, a woman can't wear a shirt. What I'm saying is that a man should have on man's pants. A woman should have on some modest women's pants if she's going to have on pants. Okay? Because we can't sit here and say that Oh, because it's the article of clothing that if a brother have it, a sister can't wear. That's that's completely ignorant. Because if that's the case, can a sister wear socks? Can she can she can she you know can she put on socks? Or because brothers wear socks, they you know they can't put on socks. How about undergarments? Can she put on some undergarments? Because a brother wear undergarments, a sister can't wear undergarments. No, that's that's immature. The Bible is talking about whatever article of clothing, it must fit your gender. So if I see a brother come in here with some leggings on, I'm going to really, you know, <laughs> I'm going to really 
have a problem. If a mm-hmm. brother come up in here with a bra on or something like that, mm-hmm. your clothes, a man should wear man's garments and a sister should wear, you know, female garments. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. This is what the scripture is referring to. Because yes, we we understood that I had a sister say, well, men wore dresses back then. It really wasn't a dress, it was a tunic. But, it was something like a tunic. But, it was it was a distinction because the woman's one was near the ground. The man's one came down almost to his knee. So there was a distinction. Even though it looks similar, there have to be distinction. We have to do this. This is the culture. Now, we have another manifestation, brothers and sisters. And that manifestation is in the food. Food has always been a cultural distinctive, brothers and sisters. Such as curry is, is, is distinctive of East Indian cooking. Such as beans and rice are staples in Mexico. Such as hamburgers, hot dogs, frankfurters are trademarks of America, among other things, brothers and sisters. See? Kingdom culture have the same thing. We're going to go to Leviticus. We're going to read a Leviticus 11, uh, 1 through 8. Because the kingdom culture of the Bible tell you what you are allowed to eat and what you are not allowed to eat. Brothers and sisters, we're going to discuss that. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. We just want to, you know, we want you to get the point here that every culture has these things that we're speaking of today. Leviticus 11 and 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. Leviticus 11 edifies which creatures are set apart as suitable for food and which are not. He was showing who? Read verse 2 again. Verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Exactly, the children of Israel. So he was showing clean people what to eat in the earth, brothers and sisters. I want to say, Christ never ate anything unclean. We make ourselves sick by breaking (coughs) the Most High's laws, brothers and sisters. The Most High made us. Should he not tell us what to eat and what not to eat in the earth, brothers and sisters? See? So Christians better, better go read Leviticus 11. Because this is the culture of the kingdom. There's do's and don'ts of what you may partake. Read verse 3, brother. Verse 3. Whatsoever parted the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Cloven hoof or split hoof is a hoof split into two toes, brothers and sisters. It says, and cheweth the cud. Cud is a portion of food that returns from the stomach to the mouth to be chewed for a second time, brothers and sisters. It's like it regurgitates it and then it chews it again. Can you read three again, brother? Verse three. Whatsoever parted the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Like a sheep, like a lamb, like a goat, like a cow, brothers and sisters. Anything that chews the cud and has a completely split hoof is ritually clean. But those animals that only chew the cud or only have cloven hooves are unclean. The Bible's getting ready to show you that. Verse 4. Nevertheless, 
These shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof as the camel, because he cheweth the cud but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. And the, and the coney, because he cheweth the cud but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet cheweth not the cud. Continue, brother. Verse 8. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean to you. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the water. What did that say? Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And all that have not fins. Mm -hmm. So what is this showing us? This is showing us, brothers and sisters, fish without fins and scales are either scavengers or carnivores and have a high level of toxins in their bodies. It's very easy to know what you can eat that's in the waters. Only that that has fins and scales. Can you read 9 one more time, brother? Leviticus 11 and 9. <clears throat> These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas, and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas, and in the rivers, of all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the water, they shall be an abomination unto you. That's, that's, that's crystal clear. Anything that does not have scales and fins, so you can't eat crab, shrimp, lobster, crawfish, catfish, shark, none of this stuff. Brothers and sisters, none of this stuff, because why? It doesn't have scales and fins, brothers and sisters. See? Continue, brother. Verse 11. They shall be, they shall be even an abomination unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, but you shall have their carcass in abomination. Whatsoever hath no fins nor scales in the water, that shall be an abomination unto you. That shall be an abomination, brothers and sisters. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13, and these are they which ye shall have an ab abomination among the fowls. So there's fowls, there's certain kinds of fowls that were forbidden, and they're usually birds of prey, brothers and sisters. They shall not be eaten, they are an abomination. The eagle, and the ossifrage, and the osprey, and the vulture, and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cacao. And the hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and the camorant, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat, all fowls that creep, going upon all four, shall be an abomination unto you. Brothers and sisters, what you'll see is that usually the most the foods that the most high animals he's saying don't eat are things that eat flesh, brothers and sisters. The things that are clean that we eat don't eat flesh, brothers and sisters. This is critical. This is key, brothers and sisters. Let's let's jump to verse 41 and 42, brother. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. Verse 41. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Verse 42, whatsoever goeth upon the belly and whatsoever goeth upon all four 
or whatsoever hath more feet among all creeping things that creep upon the earth, them ye shall not eat, for they are an abomination. For what? They are an abomination. They are an abomination, brothers and sisters. Reptiles are unclean. People who consume reptile meat like crocodiles, turtles, lizards, or snakes are susceptible to a range of diseases and health problems, brothers and sisters. See, the Most High know what's good for our body because he created them and he created me. He created us, brothers and sisters. We are not to eat snakes and frogs. We're not to eat all this stuff. Brothers and sisters, salamanders and lizards, crocodiles, alligator. These things are unclean, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you something. Jump to verse 47, brother. Leviticus 11 and 47. To make a difference between the unclean and the clean. To do what? To make a difference between the unclean and the clean. And between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. Look at that. It's important that we distinguish between the unclean and the clean. Now, brothers and sisters, the term used to designate those animals whose flesh is acceptable for food is clean, while the term used for those that are not suitable for food is unclean, brothers and sisters. So he's saying there's foods or there's animals that are unclean for you to eat. See, this is the culture of the kingdom. You're not going to get in the kingdom and be eating rat. You're not going to get in the kingdom and be eating pork. Okay, that don't happen, brothers and sisters. You have to go read Leviticus 11 because this is the culture of the kingdom. You will not get into the kingdom eating ham. It's not going to happen. And only a person who's a slave would say, well, if I can't eat ham, I don't want to go. You think some of these Mexicans would say, well, if I can't eat pork, I won't go to America. These people would give up their life to get here. And here we are, don't want to put down pork and cost ourselves an opportunity to get into the kingdom. See, because most of our people, the ones that are hardest for us to follow is Leviticus 11. Because those are the ones we fall to every single day. It's harder than the pornography one and, the, you know, uh, lying and the cussing and the fornication. These are the ones that's hardest because you have usually we're eating bacon in the morning. Sin. <laughs> we eating a ham sandwich at lunch. Sin. Then we eat a pork chop at night. Sin. So the dietary law is the hardest ones amongst our people, brothers and sisters. This is the one we fall to numerous times a day, every single day. Leviticus 11 stands today, brothers and sisters. And I know people try to go into Paul, uh, Peter and all. That dream, that vision didn't have anything to do with food, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, we have a lesson uh, that we did a few years ago called the, I think it's the, the dietary law. Um, and you can go back and check that out. But I know Christians will try to take you to don't call what's clean, what I call clean, unclean. That had nothing to do with food. See, you have to stop picking scriptures out of context. That scripture is talking about Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Peter sat down with Cornelius, which before that time was unlawful for a Jew to sit down with a Gentile. So Peter was saying, listen, I can't sit down with an unclean Gentile. The Most High responded, you don't call unclean what I call clean. He was not speaking about food, brothers and sisters. See, that's what Christians do. They just pull scriptures out of context that they have no business 
that they have no idea what's going on. Go read it again, brothers and sisters. Cornelius was a Roman. Paul, excuse me, Peter was a Jew. It was unlawful for Jews and Gentiles to sit down at meat to eat together at one point. So, Leviticus 11 stands, brothers and sisters. Only those, you know, land animals that have a split hoof and chew of the cud are clean, brothers and sisters. Like a bison, like a deer, like a uh, um, lamb, sheep, brothers and sisters. These things are clean according to the Bible. You ever notice that when Noah was putting the animals on the ark, because this was, Noah was before Moses, and he understood clean food, because the Mosai said, put what, seven, <laughs> seven clean and two unclean. Why? Because the unclean, you're not going to eat, so you only need two of those. See? So even Noah understood this, brothers and sisters. Because why? People try to say, well, that was Moses' law. That was not Moses' law. That law existed before Moses. All food is not to eat, brothers and sisters. Guess what? When you go look at Prince Harry and Queen Elizabeth, there's certain things they do not eat. See? Why? Because royalty don't eat what everyone else eat, brothers and sisters. You will not see Prince Harry at McDonald's. You will not see Queen Elizabeth at uh, the Shake Shack. Why? Because royalty does not eat what peasants eat, brothers and sisters. The children of Israel were chosen people to be clean, brothers and sisters. So what did we want to do? We wanted to deal with the foods of a culture. And our last manifestation, brothers and sisters, are celebrations. Our culture is revealed in the things that we celebrate as well as the manner in which we celebrate them. Holidays, brothers and sisters. The kingdom have holidays, brothers and sisters. That is the culture. We're going to go to Leviticus 23 to show you the culture of holidays in the Bible. We're going to go to Leviticus 23. We're going to read verse 1. Brothers and sisters, the biblical holy days are the God-ordained festivals observed by the followers of God as recorded in the scripture. We're going to go through. Leviticus 23 verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. These are what? Even these are my feasts. Number, verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. That's key. The seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. That's cultural, brothers and sisters. The children of Israel do not work on the seventh day. They do not spend money on the seventh day. This will be the culture of heaven also, brothers and sisters. The Sabbath day will be the Sabbath day even in the kingdom, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Verse 3. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So if you can't observe the Sabbath, you can't get in. Period. Verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations. These are the what? The feasts 
of the Lord. Not the feast of the commandment keepers church. The feast of the Lord. The feast of the Lord. Even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. It's what? Is the Lord's Passover. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The Passover is the feast where we celebrated our salvation and deliverance out of Egypt, brothers and sisters. It's also the same day that Christ was given up as the Lamb, the unblemished Lamb. See? The Passover. That's kingdom culture. Continue. Verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. The feast of unleavened bread. When we were fleeing from the Egyptians coming out of Egypt, we were in a rush. So we weren't able to grab the leaven, the yeast where we, you know, so the Bible is, it commands us to every year for seven days, don't eat any bread with yeast in it. That is a feast of the most high. Jump to verse 9 and 10, brother. Leviticus 23 and 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priests. First fruits, also known as Pentecost, brothers and sisters. Guess what? Guess what that commemorates? That commemorates Noah's deliverance from the flood. And in Moses and Joshua's time, it commended, excuse me, it commemorated Israel's entering into the promised land and the offering of our harvest to the Most High every year. First fruits, brothers and sisters. First fruits. That was something that was commanded of the Most High. This is a holy day. The same way you got 4th of July and Christmas and Easter. Uh, what are some of the other days they got, brother? Um, Valentine's Valentine's Day, St. <laughs> Patrick's, St. Patrick's President's Day. See, you can do all that. You can do all that, but you can't do the Most High's days. If you don't follow these holy days, you will not live in His kingdom, brothers and sisters. We're going to jump to verse twenty-four, brother Corey. Leviticus twenty-three, verse twenty-four, speaking to the children of Israel, saying. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. A what? A memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. A holy gathering. It's the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets was a feast to blow the trumpet to prepare our people for the coming day of atonement, brothers and sisters. Uh, jump to verse 27, brother. Verse 27. Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. There shall what? There shall be an, a day of atonement. It shall be in holy convocation unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The day of atonement is a holy convocation when we recall our sins and afflict our souls in fasting. So you would fast for 24 hours. All of the children of Israel would fast for 24 hours. That is the law. These are the festivals of the Most High. Brothers and sisters, we're going to go to verse 34. Leviticus 23 and 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this, this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. The Feast of Tabernacles, brothers and sisters, it commemorates how our forefathers 
dwelt in tents in the wilderness after being delivered from Egypt. See, so that's when we would go out and stay in tents, brothers and sisters, for seven days for a week long feast. And there's other holy days, brothers and sisters, that were implemented after Leviticus 23, like Purim, which is in February, usually when we uh, give gifts, the Feast of Dedication, which is also known as Hanukkah, brothers and sisters. See, so there's cultural holidays, brothers and sisters. Every culture has its own holidays. You must get you must get in line with these holidays or these holy days, brothers and sisters. Learn of these holy days, brothers and sisters. We're going to be putting out a lesson very shortly, you know, on these particular holy days and where you can find the history concerning these. But these pagan holidays have to stop if you plan on getting into the kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you that this was a, requ a requirement. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 16 and 16. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. We need to show you that these holy days were required. Deuteronomy 16 and 16. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. Three times a year shall all mares appear, males appear before the Most High. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread and in the Feast of Weeks, which is first fruits, and in the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Look at that, brothers and sisters. And they shall not appear empty. Verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. What does that say, brother? Verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So there was three times a year where... Everyone, all Jews and Israelites had to travel from wherever they were to Jerusalem for these particular holy days. See how serious this was, brothers and sisters? Now, some people may say, well, that, that was back then. Those holy days are done away with since Christ. Is Let's go to Zeph uh, Zechariah 14 and 16 to show you prophetically in the kingdom we will be serving, celebrating these holidays, brothers and sisters. Follows to Zechariah 14 and 16. Zechariah 14 and 16. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Now we know this is prophetic because it says, it says, um, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the Gentile nations which came against Israel shall go up. Why? Because we know when Christ comes, he's going to destroy the new world order. Those who are looking to destroy the Hispanics, the natives, and the black people, Christ is coming to destroy. That's in the Bible. So he's saying whoever of those nations or nationalities are left, they will come up from year to year to worship the king. See, that have not happened. Christ is not there. They Gentiles have not traveled to Jerusalem to worship him. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Everyone, all the nations, not just Israel. See, so that lets you know in the kingdom we will be celebrating holy days. 
What's the next scripture saying, brother? Verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So whoever decide they're not going to come serve the holy days in Jerusalem, the Most High is going to withhold rain, which means you will die out because your crops will not grow. See? See, Christians have to pick the Bible up again. These are the holy days. You want to celebrate Christmas and Easter and all this stuff that have nothing to do with the Bible. And then you'll skip right over all the holy days that Christ was celebrating. That David was celebrating. That Moses was celebrating. See, that's part of culture, brothers and sisters. And we're going to end it here. Jeremiah chapter 10 to show you. You won't follow what Leviticus 23 says, but then you'll follow a pagan practice that the Most High said stay away from. Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. What did he say? Learn not the way of the heathen. Learn not the way of the heathens. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. He's saying, listen, heathens or Gentiles, people who are not following the Bible or getting their holy days from the Bible, their customs are vain. What's one of the customs, brother? For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. They do what? One cutteth the tree out of the forest. Christmas. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. So we know that you got certain people who they make it, you know, it's like their custom to go cut their own tree down. Brothers and sisters. Verse 4. They deck it with silver and with gold. They deck the... They what? They deck it with silver and with gold. Deck the... See? They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Deck the halls, right? See? They deck it with silver and with gold. Why? Because back then they were putting real silver and gold on it. It says they fasten it with nails. You know how you screw that tree in to hold it standing up straight? See, read, read that one more time, brother. Jeremiah 10 verse four, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree. See, they stand upright. They fasten the nails to hold it upright. But speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them. For they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. See, it says... Be not afraid of them. Why? Because this was a pagan idol that was told to our people that if we didn't put gifts under this tree, that the, you know, the spirit of Nimrod would hunt us with evil for the rest of the year. See, it says, be not afraid of them. How do we know our people are still afraid of them? When is the last time you've not had a Christmas tree? When is the last time? When is the last time you celebrated Christmas without that tree? That tree is a idol. It have nothing to do with Christ. In fact, this Jeremiah 10 is before Christ. They were doing this before Christ, brothers and sisters. It's a pagan practice. See? So we just wanted to utilize today's lesson, brothers and sisters, to show you what kingdom culture looks like, brothers and sisters. Today, I know it was, we, it was a lengthy lesson, we understand, brothers and sisters, but Culture is a lengthy topic, brothers and sisters. We ask that brothers and sisters are able to go back on this, um, compare themselves to what they're reading here and see 
What can I do better? How can I help implement? How can I help colonize the earth with the culture of heaven? Brothers and sisters, today was our third installment for our Kingdom of Heaven series. Today's lesson was the culture of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, where we utilize biblical literature to show us the culture that will be implemented upon the second coming of Christ that should be started now. We're going to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.